0: It's my great pleasure to be here today and my honor to speak uh, God's work with you. Um, And thank you for the warm uh, introduction from Matthew, and we have been working together uh, in CIS to bring uh, ministries there. And just a little bit more background about myself Uh, I uh, grew up in KTAC. since I was very little, and I'm a second-generation Christian there. My mother joined KTAC since she was a teenager. So uh, I just had a brief conversation with Mrs. Wong that she reminded me in those days uh, there is Chinese-speaking service and also an English-speaking service in the Kowloon Tong site. And Mrs. Wong doing uh, children's ministry for the Chinese congregation, and then she joined the English-speaking service. And I still have some memories about that. And what I want to say is, uh, this is a family to me, as a local church, and also as the body of Christ. And so in the name of Jesus, I also want to bring greetings to you on behalf of KTAC. And as I know, this year, your pulpit is focusing on the gospel. And the test for this Sunday is the sermon of the month. So this morning, I want to focus on a short passage in the sermon of the month that is so crucial to the sermon as a whole. And our passage today is about a promise of prayer. In Matthew seven seven, Jesus promised, "Ask, and you will; it will be given to you. Seek." and you will find, knock, and the door will be opened to you. This promise is so great that all Christians should have a solid understanding of what it is all about and learn how to claim this promise. But before we take a closer look to this promise, I want us to point out that this promise is also often misunderstood in two ways. The first misconception is called the blank check perspective. So people who hold this perspective believe that whatever you want, ask God, and it will be given to you. Right? This promise is like a blank check. You can write whatever number you want. And people who believe in this perspective would say, "Well, I'm a simple Bible believer." And this is what literally Jesus said. And I believe in it, so we just need more faith in God. Keep praying, pray harder, and I will receive what I want. I think this is also the line that preachers who preach, I'm not sure if you heard about prosperity gospel, prosperity gospel, in this kind of thinking, they believe that God is full of blessings. He wants to bless you. So whatever you ask, it will be given to you, and you will be prosperous. You will get a lot of blessing, especially in terms of materials. A few years ago, in, there is a TV uh, reality show in the Los Angeles network. It's called Preachers of the Los Angeles. The show documented six preachers in LA. And these preachers have one thing in common that they are all very rich. They all drove Ferrari or antique car. They all wore Rolex. They all have private security guard, perhaps a jet or a boat, something like that. So their message is basically, look at us, look at us. God bless us spiritually and materially. And you just need to ask in faith and it will be given to you. And you just need more faith, more prayer. But don't forget, put in more money in your offering bag because it shows you are faithful to God and you will receive God's abundant blessings. So this blank check perspective often ties to or leads us to think prosperity, and material blessings from God. It also focuses on the self, focus on the present, earthy, material blessing. That's what I want from God. So this is, I think this is a wrong approach to Matthew 7.7. 7. And the second misconception of Matthew 7.7 7 is called the prayer only change me perspective. So some well-meaning Christians may feel this promise perhaps may lead us into the misunderstanding that we can get whatever we want from God, like the prosperity gospel. It's too, it's too tempting. So to avoid this temptation, they go into another extreme and saying, well, actually Jesus only wants to encourage us to pray. And when we pray, the real purpose is not to change God's mind. God is perfect. His mind doesn't change. But the purpose is, change me. So, if you pray for a big house, keep praying. But the Holy Spirit will remind you that you don't need such a big house. And you should be content. And you repent from, you are asking for a big house. Or if you pray for promotion, keep praying. God, will make you a more humble person and remove your ambitions. So this is um, actually not a new thinking because it's a famous, there's a famous quote from Soren Kierkegaard, in 19th century philosopher says, prayer doesn't change God, but it changes him who prays. So we see two perspectives. that the blank check perspective says too much about the promise. But the prayer-only-change-me perspective says too little about the promise. It strips away the promise to the point that there is nothing here is promised at all. So this is not what the Bible teaches us. Prayer does change things. Prayer can change God's intention. As we see in the book of Exodus, the second king, we all see all this in... Example, God's intention can be changed. It doesn't affect his overall plan. And prayer changes things around us. We need to believe that. So what does this passage really teach us about the promise of prayer? Let's just first look at the sermon test. And then I will also explain why this is so crucial to the Sermon of the Man. And we will see this is the key to live out the demands in the Sermon of the Month. And I will illustrate by one example in the Sermon of the Mind that how, see how this promise of prayer connects with other passage in this sermon. So let's just look at Matthew 7.7. 7. It says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Here are three commands. Ask, seek. And knock. And these three commands are actually not three things. It's one thing. It all refers to prayer. This is the imagery in the Old Testament that people, when they pray, they ask, they knock, they seek. So it all talks about prayer. And then all three commands are immediately followed by a promise. Ask. And it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find, and lock. The door will be open to you. Then we come to verse, verse 8. Jesus repeats the whole thing again. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So what Jesus is doing here is just to emphasize one thing. is that the Father always answers prayer. And this is simple. We understand what Jesus is saying here. The message is really simple. Jesus said, God will answer prayer. But what is more important is to ask, why would Jesus say what he is saying in this place? And we should notice that in the Sermon of the Man, this is not the first time Jesus teaches about prayer. Not the first time to say, asking the Father. In Matthew 6, 8, Jesus teaches that, do not be like them. Jesus is talking about the Pharisee who is babbling like pagans. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So Jesus said, before you ask, your Father already knows. The Father knows. So why would Jesus need to talk about asking the Father again in chapter 7? I believe it's because even the disciples have been taught that the Father knows their need. They may still wonder, will the Father be able to answer my prayers? Yes, the Father knows my need, and I ask him, but will he answer my prayer? So in today's sermon test, Matthew 7.7, 7, Jesus makes it very clear that God will surely answer your prayer. Ask, and it will be given to you. But in the gospel, you know, the disciples are portrayed as a slow learner. They learn things slowly. So even when they believe that God knows their need, God will surely answer their prayers, they may still have doubt whether the answer is good. Yes, God will answer my prayer, but is it what I want? Is it good for me? Is it the best for me? Is it something good to me? So Jesus goes on to explain the answer from God is always good. The next few words, Matthew 7, 9-11 to says, Let's just read together. It's a very interesting piece of passage. Let's just read together. Let's start. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you, that though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So here Jesus used parents as an illustration to explain that God's answer is always good. Jesus is stating the obvious. just want to ask you, have you known any parents if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone or a snack if his son asks for a fish? Anyone? You can raise your hand. No one, right? Because if you do, what you need to do, you need to report to the police. This is called, what, nowadays called child abuse, right? Child abuse. You give a stone to your son to eat. So of course not. Jesus is stating the obvious. Parents always want to give the best to their children. Good food, good living environment, good education. It's so obvious. But Jesus wants us to look beyond the obvious. He said, hey, if you parent on earth, and here Jesus uses a blunt word, evil in nature, because according to God's standard, we are all evil, we are all sinful in nature, we are just human, we make mistakes, we are limited in wisdom, in a lot of things. So even we humans want to give good gift to our children. Think about that, how much more our Father in heaven, the almighty God who is infinitely good, infinitely wise, infinitely powerful, how much more he will get, give good gifts to our children. Think about that. God, with his infinite wisdom, he knows what is the best for us. So the answer to the question, whether the answer from God is a good one, Jesus here makes a very strong statement that the answers. It's always good. So from the Sermon of the Month and from today's passage, we learned three unquestionable truths about prayer. The first one is God knows our needs. It's from Matthew 6. And then God will answer prayers. And the third truth is the answer is always good. And this is very important. And would you do me a favor? Turn to the one next to you and say all this spiritual truth to him or to her. And this is a blessing to them. God knows our needs. God will answer prayers. And the answer is always good. Yeah, it's such an abundant blessing and promise to us is a blessing, is God's promise to us about prayer. So we learn three spiritual truths about the prayer that Jesus taught in the Sermon of the Mount. But the remaining question is: what are the good gifts? The good gifts is so good that Jesus not only teaches his disciples, the right way to pray in the Lord's Prayer. He also encouraged us that we must ask from God for it. It sounds like God is offering something that is so good to be true. And Jesus felt in his sermon, remember this is a single sermon, he repeats and repeats again that you must ask for it and you will get it. So the question is, what are the good gifts that is in view here? And I believe the good gift here the Heavenly Father is offering is called the kingdom reality of love. The gift is not a blank check that whatever we want, but it's about the kingdom. The good gift is what we live, is that we live in a place where people can relate to one another with compassion, with mercy, and respect. This is a blessed life that is offered only by our Heavenly Father. And we can never get it from this world, from any government, from any society. So let me unpack a little bit to show how I arrived to this answer. First of all, we must remember today's passage is part of the Sermon of the Mount. So this is a single sermon from Matthew 5 to 7 which organized around one main theme or a single line of thought. And so it has an overall and overarching direction that encompasses the whole Matthew 5 to 7. So we must read this passage the promise of prayer within this context, and ask what is the main theme of the Sermon of the Mind. And we could say the main theme of the Sermon of the Mind is about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is God's ruling, God's sovereignty, God's will that comes into effect in this world, here and now, on earth. And that's why Jesus teaches us to pray that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So first of all, we must remember that this sermon is about the kingdom of God. The promise of prayer is also about the kingdom of God. And secondly, Jesus invited ordinary people like you and me to live in this kingdom, to live within the domain that God's will is in effect here on earth. And God, Jesus teaches us, because we are in this kingdom, we have a new way of living a new lifestyle, a blessed and secure way of living. So in chapter 5, we are familiar with the Sermon of the that Jesus talks about the new kingdom ethics, that people who submit to God's kingship will forego hatred and retaliation, and no more lust in the heart, no more verbal manipulation, and... Very challenging, to love your enemies. And many people say these are hard sayings of the Bible. The demand are too high. It's too difficult. It's unrealistic. How could people fulfill all those demands? But Jesus, in his sermon, actually is saying it's entirely possible. It's practical. It's realistic. I'm not sure how many of you here are, are teachers in school. Anyone who is teacher in school, can you raise your hand? Just let me know more about your congregation. Yes, we have teachers here. And a good teacher always sets realistic learning objectives that is suitable for age and suitable to the ability of the student, right? So Jesus... I believe is the best of the best teacher on earth. And how could he set a goals which is so unachievable, so unrealistic? I believe not. I believe Jesus is a good teacher who set goals which is achievable for all of us. But if we want to follow Jesus' teaching, if we if we want to fulfill his demand, We must follow his method and his way of doing it. And the way to live out the new kingdom ethics, the new kingdom lifestyle, the demand, I think the answer is through prayer, by asking the Heavenly Father. And so Jesus said, ask, and it will be given to you. So the good gift here in today's passage is that by asking the Father, the Father not only helps us to fulfill the ethical demand required by Jesus, God will also guarantee the result that we will witness and experience the kingdom reality of love and mercy and justice. And let me illustrate this point. It's a very important point that we understand, how we understand this promise of prayer. By looking at Matthew 7, 1-5, this is a passage immediately precedes today's sermon test. It will help us to see why prayer, the act of asking the Father, is the key for us to fulfill the ethical demand of Jesus and also to experience the kingdom reality. Many commentators think Matthew 7, 1 to 5 or 1 to 6, and today's passage, 7 to 11, is like two separate, unrelated passage. But I believe it is a one single sermon. And the flow is so natural that they form a unified, single, coherent message. So let's look at a bit of Matthew 7, 1. Here it said, Do not judge, or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What Jesus here is talking about, we must abandon a habit of condemning and blaming people. Condemning and blaming is such a common practice, it's universal. I think it happens in all culture, all society. We either give or receive condemnation each day. In workplace, if something goes wrong, our first reaction is is what? Is who is to blame, right? Who make mistakes? Who will take the fall? And the last person. To blame usually is, it's me, right? It's myself. So this is the culture of our society. So here Jesus teaches that do not judge, or you will be judged. Why we shouldn't judge people for two reasons. First, it never works. It's ineffective, ineffective. Because when people receive blames, the first thing they do is to deny and to defend and if you play football or soccer they we have a saying that the best defense is a good offense right the best defense is a good offense that is they want to attack you back they will use the same standard to attack you so if you blame me I'm lazy in my workplace what I would do, I would start counting your working hours. And I look at your lunch time. Oh, you take lunch break too long, like 15 minutes every day longer. So we will use the same standard to offend, attack people. So condemnation usually achieve very little, and it's counterproductive because the f- person who is being blamed is not listening. His ear is closed. There's nothing here we can achieve. And the second reason that we shouldn't judge people because it hurts people. When we condemn, what we are actually communicating is that you are bad. You are a bad father. You are a bad mother. You are a bad colleagues. All the message is saying that you are not acceptable, it's unacceptable, and you are not worthy enough. And we do not treat the other person that they deserve, the one they deserve, who is created also in the image of God. So this is why in verse 3, Jesus said, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention the plank in your own eye. This is why Jesus, in verse 5, Jesus mentioned the plank in our own eye because condemnation often comes with anger and self-righteousness which blind us to see who the person really is. So condemnation itself is our plank it cover our eyes blind us and what we achieve would be it hurts people by not treating other people the way they deserve and not seeing them as the one who he is in the image who is created in the image of god so in the kingdom of god if we embrace this kind of kingdom living we must not condemn and we must forego this practice. And it doesn't mean that we will give up, give up the capacity to discern what is right or wrong. So we need to, we need to differentiate judgmentalism and discernment are two things. Discernment is necessary, it's biblical, and this is good for us. We need to discern what is right and what is wrong. And if we really need to discuss with people about their failure, we should do it in a way that is full of compassion and mercy and without condemnation. The person that received confrontation could feel that he is being, although he failed, but he is still being accepted and loved. And this is, as you hear, I think we all thinking this is very difficult. It's a very difficult task, especially in today's culture. A philosopher and spiritual director that I respected very much called Dallas Willard, he said, today people are so hurtful that we may not know how to discuss with people's failure without attack on the person. There is an old saying that hates the sin and loved the sinner. Have you heard about that? Hates the sin, and loved the sinner. But it seems today no one knows how to do it, right? It's easy to say, but how to do it? Right? In today's culture, if you disapprove what I do or how I do it, I will just naturally feel that you are rejecting me. You are just saying I'm, I'm bad. So not to judge in today's culture seems to be an impossible task. How could I have compassion and sensitivity to help others without making them feel they are being condemned? How can I change a person without hurting his own sense of self-worthiness? And I think the answer is, in today's our sermon test, is to ask, and it will be given to you. So now we see how Matthew 7, 7 7-11 comes into the picture. That Jesus teaches us that not to judge, and it is not an impossible task. Jesus is saying that if you really want to do it, do it in my way, which is to pray to the Father. Ask Him and make a request to the Heavenly Father that you need wisdom and compassion and mercy to deal with the person that you want to deal with. And you also ask the Father to change that person by God's infinite goodness and power, not by our own flesh, not by our own condemnation. So what you need to do is to obey Jesus' teaching and not also ask the Father. Two things. We obey, but not only obey, because by our own effort, we couldn't do it. We also need to ask the Father. Let's say a couple who had a troubled relationship. They fight with each other each day, they have so much anger inside in heart. The conflict is so deep, so complicated that they even know where to start to deal with it. They go to see therapist. Even the therapist doesn't know how to deal with it. It's so complicated. Not after ten sessions to understand what is going on. So what should the couple do? What should they do first? They should stop blaming. One another, because this is what Jesus taught in Matthew seven. And secondly, they also need to simply ask God help, to help them. ask God to change the heart. So if the couple follow this instruction, if they really stop condemning each other, do you know what happened? First of all, both of them no longer lead to defend for themselves because no one is blaming each other. They stop defending. And they, when they stop defending themselves, their hearts begin to open. Right? And is, because they are not condemning each of them, there is no plank on their eye. They can see more clearly about what is going on in their relationship. And also because the couple are keep praying to God, God, in his time, he will answer prayer. God knows their problem. Right? Even the couple do not understand what is going on. It's so complicated. The therapist doesn't understand what is going on. But remember, the first spiritual truth we just learned Is what? God knows our need. God knows our need. God knows what is going on. So surely, he knows how to deal with it. So God will work in their lives and their hearts to bring about changes. God could also change the situation or the perspective of the person. So you see, life transformation is brought by prayer, by asking the Father, not by condemnation, not by finger-pointing. We cannot change people. We think we can change people by condemning, by nagging. Husband want to change wife, wife want to change her husband, but it never works, because only God can change people. And the good news here is that the burden of correcting a person is not on us anymore. We are not responsible for changing people. And God has taken up this burden. God will take care of of it. So what we need to do is to ask. It's a very simple lesson. We ask God. God will always, in his time, answer our prayer. And the answer is always good, because God in his infinite knowledge, infinite wisdom, he knows the best what is going on. So he will do it and help us in a way the best is possible. So you see today's passage, the promise of prayer, the promise of the good thing is about the kingdom reality. This is not a blank check that we could ask whatever we want for ourselves. The Bible did not teach us about self-interest. The Bible teaches us about the kingdom. And the promise is also not about only change me exercise. Because you see, this promise offers real changes. It changes the way how we deal with one another, how people relate to one another. It could change your family. It could change in your workplace. It could change the society. Imagine what a society would be like if people are not judging others, treating one another with love and with respect, with mercy. And this is what our world urgently needs such a good things from God. The kingdom reality of love, of mercy, a promise that humankind can relate to one another with mercy, with compassion without judgment, without hatred. So let's follow the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount and ask God through prayer that we will find grace and strength to fulfill His kingdom command and also trust Him. God will answer our prayer and will guarantee the result is good because God is good all the time. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today's message that you encourage us to pray because you will offer us good gifts, which is the reality that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, Father, help us to obey your teachings not by our own efforts, but by your power and your spirit. Help us to believe that by following your way, it is a blessed life. We can fulfill the command that you teach us. And in this way, we will experience the abundant blessing in the kingdom of God. And we will give all the glory to you. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.